Yeah, we talk about saying yes in the year of yes and finding your yes and saying yes to God. That's not what we mean. <laughs> Did you get that last line? The world's a playground, but somewhere along the way, everyone forgets it. But we all know that even playgrounds can be places where things go wrong, where people uh, get hurt. I mean, for instance, what kind of shape would all of us be in if in third grade, on the third grade playground, we accepted every third grade playground challenge that we were offered? We just said yes. I mean, I'm 61 next month. Jeff, what are you, 52, 53 right in there? Younger than me. <laughs> ben is 40. Ben just turned 40, right? Ben, a few weeks ago, was at a conference, and, you know, he's walking around. I set, we sent him home. I said, get out of here. Go home between gatherings, because he was in a lot of pain still. He, he has one of those NFL knee braces. Now, he's graduated from the stiff brace to where he has one of those linemen, NFL lineman braces on his knees, walking around in shorts today so we can all enjoy his scar and his brace. But Ben... Uh, and he doesn't have a really cool story to go with that break. I mean, Ben, he may give you the impression that I broke my knee while jumping in front of a car to save a child and the bumper directly struck. Ben was walking upstairs in a dark bowling alley after goofing off with a bunch of youth pastors, FaceTiming his daughter while he was trying to go up these stairs. He tripped over one of the stairs and hit his knee directly on the next stair, and that's how he busted his kneecap flat in half, separated it by about a half inch. And so he had to have surgery to, re, uh, to reconnect them. But Ben is limping around in a knee brace, and he told me as recently as this morning in his office, I said, how you doing? How's your knee feeling? Because I'm kind of sensitive to knees these days. And he said, this thing is kicking my tail. 40 years old, he's still a relatively young man. I had knee replacement surgery several months ago and a, a tune-up on it last Wednesday. I was shocked. I've been limping around here for months. Jeff last week comes in and says, hey, you know how Ben's busted his knee and you're you know, wimping out on your knee? And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, I was doing my run. I don't know if it was a short run or long run, but either way, it's a more run than I do. And he said, I'm jumping over this fence. I'm feeling good. I'm going to jump over the fence. And when I jumped over the fence or whatever the obstacle was, he pulls up his pant leg and he shows me that he has a compression sock up from his ankle to his knee because he tore or pulled some sort of a calf muscle and he's limping around too or something like that. I don't know if that's all factual, but it's pretty close. And so he had posted somewhere on Facebook the other day, we have three pastors and three good legs, you know, between, <laughs> between, between the three pastors. Can you imagine just the three of us, that small sampling? What kind of shape we'd be in at 40 and 52 or three-ish and 61 if we would have said yes to every playground challenge we were offered in third grade, we would have limped onto the fourth grade playground, and I don't even know if we'd be around here today. So yes, life the world is a playground, but too many people forget it. But at the same time, we recognize we can't say yes to every opportunity. Playgrounds are places where people can get seriously hurt as well. When we're talking about finding your next yes, what is God asking you specifically to do? What's going on with that? We know that an important part of finding a yes is the wisdom of knowing when to apply no. That's the point of the movie 
Yes Man, which we're not necessarily recommending you take your kids or rent the movie Yes Man. Just a great clip and a good illustration for what we were trying to say today. That's one of the points, is that while saying no to everything can rob you of life, and it can, saying yes to everything can sometimes trivialize or confuse your life, send you in directions that it wasn't really God's will for you to go. Now, introducing this point just a few weeks ago was Pastor Ben, uh, I think after the knee break, it was a post-knee break sermon. And he offered this idea, it wasn't the main point of his message, but it was certainly a substantial contribution to the message, and he emphasized it more at the end of it. You might remember it. He said, every yes begins with a no. Remember that? He gave the illustration of, uh, of receiving a, a scholarship to a university, and there you're going to get a free education, you're going to get to play on this university team, you get a scholarship, but then not being able to live into that yes that God offered you because you're academically ineligible. And his point was, his point was you lost the yes, you missed it because you didn't apply your nose very well. You said yes to everything except studying so that you didn't say no to this other stuff and focus on studying so that you could then experience the yes. But it was the idea, an illustration of a well-placed no being significant in figuring out and discovering God's yes. Why? Because every yes begins with a no. If you want to be able to respond to the right opportunity and respond with the right yes, got to be willing to employ the right no. So this is about the relationship between yes and no. And we're going to just get a little bit of insight into when and where to apply that no. What do we need to say no to as we move forward in this world of yes that God has for us? And more specifically, the correct yes. The best yes. What part does no play in that? And where are some no's to be found that are essential to finding our yes? We're going to get that from 2 Timothy chapter 2. And just look at a few verses in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Would you stand please for the reading of God's word? 2 Timothy 2. I'm going to begin at verse 3. Your screen will begin at verse 4. But we're going to just go through verse 7. Paul's writing to his disciple, his trainee, his young pastor, apprentice, Timothy. He says, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Can you just see Timothy jumping up and down saying, I'm in for that. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please the commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown, except by competing according to the rules. In verse 6, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. He says, reflect on what I'm saying, Timothy, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. May God add his blessing to his holy word, his fully inspired message to us. Go ahead and take your seats. Some no's that are essential to finding our yes. And here they are. From Paul. 1 Timothy 2.4, that first, that first little section that we read in verse 4, says, No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to place to please the commanding officer. The first no that needs to be carefully discerned and deployed or employed 
in the journey toward the right yes is this. We need to learn to say no to overcommitment. We need to say no to this poisonous version of American Christian spirituality that is really nothing more than frenetic, crazy, busy. Say no to overcommitment. Because that's what we often do, say yes. It's like there's something in the DNA, something in the water of our faith experience, of our spirituality that has valued busyness over depth. And you know what? If you're committed to busyness, you're saying no thank you to depth. Overcommitment is the antithesis. It's the kryptonite of depth, of spiritual depth. Schedules in life have to be structured so that there's space where nothing is planned. There are margins in your day. How many of you, don't answer, could actually say, I've got all kinds of margin in my day. I've got 20% margin in my average schedule, and it's reserved for reading and thinking and dreaming and reflecting and sitting and doing nothing so that I might hear. It's reserved for silence. Virtually none of us have that. Even when we retire, we think there's something wrong with having so much time on my hands, and so we fill it with all sorts of busyness, which feels good, sounds good, and is affirmed as good and spiritual, but it's actually robbing us. There needs to be a no offered there. Now, that's pretty easy to say, no. It's pretty easy to say when we're saying no to things that are clearly not good for us, that are clearly sin. Like, it's, it's easy to know you should say no to destructive addictions. Nobody has to talk you into saying no to that. Now, doing it is another thing altogether. It's easy to say no to Loving money or prestige or whatever it is so much that we keep working, 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 working to get the next promotion and the next raise. Nobody has to talk you in to believing that greed, if they name it that way, or insecurity that drives us and motivates us is not something that's real healthy. Or nobody has to say, hey, come on, man, you're being driven by pride and pride's not a healthy thing. We would all agree with that. We say no to those things, even though we don't often find the strength to live them up. But life isn't that clean, is it? In fact, most of the time, I find, if your experience is like mine, you're finding this too, that the real tough decisions are when I have to figure out to say no to something that deserves a yes. No to something good. No to something Christian. No to something godly. No to something that's, that's good for me even. How in the world do I know when to say no to a good thing? It's not just qualified so uh, so easily. We used to have this phrase that was bounced around when I was a young youth pastor and a new Christian. And I don't think it's used as much anymore, but it's, it, was a, it was trite, but it was still good. And it was this. A, the need is not the call. The fact that there's a need is not the same as recognizing uh, as, as you being called to respond to the need. And do you realize how crazy that life would be if every single legitimate need was the justification for us responding to it? It'd be like the craziness of, of this film. You have to say no to some things that really otherwise deserve a yes. How do we know to do that? Because we're direct, Lord, what's my life about? What's my family's objective? What's our purpose? What's our contribution? Help us focus that so that we have a vision for what we're to contribute in this family of God. And then we're free to say yes to the things that contribute to that 
contribute to that, and no to some wonderful things that just aren't ours to respond to. It's when the things are good that it's tough to figure out how to say no. Like a good job offer. Is there anything wrong with the next job offer or the next promotion? That's not a bad thing in and of itself. But just because it's offered doesn't mean it should be received. A marriage proposal or another opportunity for your kid to join one more soccer league or one more baseball league. And I don't mean this as a rant, but I do mean it as a pastorally responsible caution. We fill up our lives with so much good stuff that we stunt our own growth and hurt our own spiritual development. And sometimes, otherwise excellent, well-meaning parents do that same thing with their children by assuming that just because my child has opportunity A, B, C, and D, it's in their best interest for me to make sure they get to experience everything that comes at them. It is not in their best interest. We are sometimes accidentally saying to our children, out of love and great motive, thank you God, you're number two or three. And we don't realize that we're doing that because we would never want to send that message. But just because of the over-involvement that we uh, actually make happen uh, for them. And we're perpetuating our own addiction to busyness by not saying to our children, no, pick either baseball or soccer. That's it. Pick, pick one or two. That's it. Because you need space in your life. You need time to reflect. You need time to read. You need time to play. You need time to think. And I need time to not drive you to everything so that I'm going crazy. Think about that. Not a rant, just saying, loving pastors want to make sure you're aware of that and you can think through what works for your own family. But sometimes the key to yes is a well-placed no. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6 where Paul's trying to make this point. Different context, but this is virtually the point he's trying to make here. He says, it's certainly a relevant text, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. You're free to do all sorts of things. There's no sin in this thing or that thing or this involvement or that involvement. The question isn't, is it wrong and therefore I shouldn't do it? The more mature question and the more demanding question and the more difficult question is, even though I'm free to be involved with this or that or this or that, is it a profitable yes? What's profitable? He says all things are lawful, but not all things edify, not all things build up, not all things contribute to my family, my household, my church, my ministry going in the direction I sense the Lord is asking me to go. It doesn't necessarily contribute to a faithfulness in response to God's invitation and my yes. We used to have, and that's happening in culture, right? Uh, it used to be, for instance, I've said this before, I'll say it again, this is a hobby horse. It used to be that laws were based on what was ethical. Have you noticed that now ethics are based on what is lawful? Have you noticed that shift? Why are you doing that? What's wrong with it? It's legal. And so what happens to be legal is now the definition for what's okay to involve yourself with. It used to be just the other way around. We defined what was legal based on what was ethical and good uh, for human beings. And that's a parallel kind of shift that's also made its way to the church. The Bible doesn't say I can't do this. 
That's an immature way of approaching the question, what is God's next yes for you? Because the demand is this, don't just go there and settle. Ask the question, in spite of what the Bible gives me freedom to do, what will edify? What does God want me to do? What yes does he have for me? Okay, now that's the longest point of all the points I'm going to make. But we need to employ some carefully thought out and well-placed no's because every yes begins with a no. And the first one is this, say no to overcommitment. Overcommitment will poison you and trip you and knock you down. Undercommitment is freedom. Think about that. Second well-placed no. So say no to overcommitment and the frenetic life that goes with it. Secondly, say no to cutting corners. That next uh, picture that Paul offers is about cutting corners, about um, uh, the wrong kind of an addiction to efficiency, as though efficiency is the catch-all, end-all. He says, similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. So you have this idea of shortcuts, cutting corners. The objective in a race is not to cross the finish line first. The objective in a race is to cross the finish line first, having run without making shortcuts or cutting corners, without breaking the rules. You can cross the finish line first and be the first one to finish. But if you finished first, by taking shortcuts, cutting corners when you're running, going around the hills because it's faster and easier on your legs, you might finish ahead of everybody else, but you're not going to win the prize. Sometimes we need to say, no, 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 no. That might be the fastest way to go, but it's not the right way to go. Not cutting any corners. And you look at the context from which Paul speaks that, and it's a little bit scary because his dramatically clear context is suffering, embarrassment, uh, sacrifice. The whole first chapter of 2 Timothy is about, hey, I'm in change. It's a letter to Timothy from Paul. I'm in change. I'm in, uh, I'm in jail. I'm embarrassed. So-and-so, this person, he names the people. They no longer wanted to have anything to do with me or our gospel because of their embarrassment. And then he names people that stayed connected. However, you know how this person and this person actually came to me and sought me out and cared for me and then he talks about uh, what we give up, what we sacrifice, what it costs us to run this race. And in that context, he says, anyone who competes, who runs, is going to run in spite of the pain, not run in such a way that they try to avoid the pain. Paul is virtually saying, you're not going to find your next yes to God. If you think you can get there without giving something up, dying to yourself in some way, without it costing you, without your legs aching, without being out of gas and out of wind, and deciding to keep running anyway. Shortcuts will get you to the finish line quicker and in one piece, but they'll keep you from winning the prize. That's the message he's giving to Timothy. There needs to be some well-placed, well-thought-out, deeply committed to no going on around here in route to yes. Say no to overcommitment because it robs you of your yes. Say no to cutting corners because Christian faith involves death. It involves 
laying aside your life. It involves a reconstruction of your heart and your motives and your priorities and issues of pride and dealing with insecurities and saying, yeah, I'm not going to cut corners. I'm going to run the hills. I'm going to scream in pain and regret the fact that times that I ever started the race in the first place. But if I'm going to get to my next yes, I'm going to have to employ that no. I will not cheat. There's no crown one in cutting corners. So, say no to overcommitment, say no to cutting corners, and then this last one, 2 Timothy 2, 6. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Say no to passivity. Say no to the notion that you can stand back in the field while everybody else plows, plants, prunes, picks, harvests, and then step up to the table and say, let me eat. You don't get to yes without plowing, pulling weeds, planting, harvesting, watering. That's when you eat. That's when you get to experience the deep joy of knowing that the Lord's looking at you saying, you got it, my daughter. You got it, my son. That's exactly the path I had for you. That's the contribution I wanted you to make. And how did you get there? By working not by watching. I'm not talking about working to earn God's favor. That's not even on the map here. We're talking about applying the truth of the gospel to life. It's how do we get from here to there as a Christian? You make an investment and you get skinned up knuckles and you sweat and you think and you pray, and you discern and you go to your friend. Remember last week with those cards I said, Submit, submit, submit. There's some ideas that might be the Lord's will for us. Submit those to the community and let them do the hard work with you of trying to figure out what the Lord might be calling you to and how it all fits together. That's a rigor that we need to involve ourselves in. Say no to passivity. Get involved. Jump on board. Kick some tires. The hardworking farmer is the one who gets to experience the joy of faithfulness, not the passive one. So let's face the truth of the fact that God's yes, when we're looking for that, doesn't often just come. In fact, it probably never comes just while we're standing watching somebody else work. It comes after we plow, plant, water, after we and while we commit. Finding our yes is often the result of deep, hard, punishing, rewarding work. There's this saying, it says, there are three kinds of workers. For example, when a piano is to be moved, the first kind of worker gets behind the piano and pushes. The second kind of worker gets in front of the piano and pulls and guides. And the third kind of worker picks up the piano stool and follows. What I'm trying to say is you'll rarely find God's yes carrying the stool. Say no to passivity. Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's a sport we play. Every yes begins with a no. So if you want to find your next yes, it involves some work on your part, some investment, some diving in and getting wet. Say no to overcommitment. That's probably the most challenging and effective, helpful point we make today. Say no to, uh, what was my second point? 
my mind goes crazy. Say no to cutting corners. Might be faster to get there cutting corners, but it's not effective. And say no to passivity. We read earlier some of those from some of those cards you wrote. It didn't even begin to touch the things you wrote, but it was just a sampling. And you may be right on some of those things you wrote down. Lord, I suspect this is my next yes. But part of figuring out whether or not you're going to be able to say yes is knowing when to say no. And we're going to have to say no to good but lesser things because the need is not the call. Say no to overcommitment, whether it's with our families or our jobs or whatever it might be. Leave margins in your life. That's God's will for you, and I can say that with certainty. Say no to cutting corners. That's not the way you create margins. Say no to passivity. Neither is that the way we create margins. We thoughtfully create them. Say no to overcommitment, no to corners, no to passivity, because sometimes, sometimes the greatest enemy to yes, of yes, is yes itself. Just placed in the wrong direction. Let's pray. So God, we are aware that our call, our challenge is far beyond our ability to respond to it. And when we go to the well to get some water, to find strength to do the things we are convinced we need to do, our buckets are too often empty. We are dependent upon you. We're not only hiding in your cross, but we're depending upon your Holy Spirit to put in us what needs to be there in order for us to see clearly, to think deeply to respond faithfully and to do it all with deep joy. We long to not just find some random good enough yes, but the next yes that comes from you. So show us when to say no. And then, Lord, touch not only our understanding, but our will. And give us the will to say no even to good things that deserve a yes otherwise. We trust you with this, and we're willing to go there, Lord, the more mature road. In the name of Christ, we pray. Now, would you stand now and be dismissed with this blessing? Oh, first a reminder. You understand, right, that just because we get to get up here and preach stuff, it doesn't mean we've got it all figured out. You know that, right? Sometimes if you put it in print or put it in the form of a sermon, you can understand the message that we're in this together, working through this stuff. The stuff we preach, the stuff we're working through uh, pretty seriously. And so we're, we're just joining together in this journey. Now receive this blessing. May the Holy Spirit find full reception in your hearts to strengthen you, to give you clarity, to give you power, to see clearly, but also to respond to what you see and move in that direction clearly. Lord, when do I say no? And how do I do it without feeling guilt because I just said no to something that's otherwise good? Peace there. Have peace there. What do I need to change? 
receive his instruction and have peace. And remember something we sang earlier, that he's not against us, he's for us. He doesn't see us as a bunch of failures that are limping along in life and are pitiful. He sees us as his children who are trying to move in the right direction and find the next yes. And he loves that. Remember that. And then with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, peace of Christ be with you.